0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Melina Lee Williams Haas. I deeply appreciate you listening and taking the time to hang out. I'll be addressing issues of life, the universe, and everything that often are bogged down and mired in shame and grief, and talk about how they can be repackaged to be useful and gorgeous and fucking awesome for you. So sit back and relax, or sit up and freak out, however you prefer to listen. Come join me. One of the things I always found really fascinating about people's thoughts and expectations about DS or dominant and submissive relationships is that the whole focus and focal point of the relationship is that the dominant or the master or the owner, whoever the fuck, gets to do and say whatever they want. And the submissive or slave's job purely is to listen and obey their needs and wants and desires are are not important Uh, what's funny is that when I first got involved in kink and leather and SM, that was sort of held up as the ideal that people were to be seen and not heard kind of thing. And with my first relationship in the scene, the whole point of it was to try to Achieve this invisible service, i.e., that you were to be the silent hand of the will of the of the master or owner, or whatever who the hell. And I tried that. Like I swear to God, I really did. I tried, and I was not that accomplished at it. I will tell you that we, um, in my household, my leather household, which consisted of the dominant male guy, his sort of right hand woman and then um, any other submissives or servants or slaves that they had in their, in their, in their grip, <laughs> so to speak. I wasn't, and still am not a poly person, but I don't necessarily have an aversion to being in relationships with other people who are poly, depending on what my situation is. Like if I am casually dating someone, and then you know there is someone else who I also want to like play with or something, I could do that. But I don't heart bond with more than one person, so I actually use the term uh, monoamorous. I am pretty sure I coined that term because I never heard it before. When I started using it, people were like, "Oh, that makes sense." I mean, I didn't coin it; coin it. It's just the logical extension of polyamorous versus uh, monogamous because the words don't track together. Anyway, I digress. So in this leather household that I'm involved in, my first out of the gate involved in the real-time community, and one of the things that we had to do in this household was train for a formal service of tea and lunch and dinners and, and brunches and all of this other shit so that our dominant could show off the skills of his lovely subs. And so for months we were training and getting all these etiquette books and all this other shit, so we could learn how to do formal tea service. You know, temperature the tea was to be served at, how to set the table, how to set a sideboard, how to put a cup and saucer down without making it rattle. It was a whole fucking thing. So we finally did hold one of these formal teas. And one of the people who was invited was a dear friend of mine who was uh, identified as a slave, someone I looked up to immensely and also was a a good friend of mine. And um, she was in the the company for this tea. And then afterwards she sent a, a thank you note to my dominant, you know, the very polite and nice formal thing to do. And in the note, she said she wanted to also compliment him on my impeccable service and how wonderful it was to see me flourishing in this place. And then when we had our weekly house meeting and we were talking about this, he turned to me and said, oh, I received a note from so-and-so. And and, uh, she specifically mentioned your service. And I was feeling super proud that someone I admired had admired, you know, the work that I had done. And he said, you know, actually, this is a problem because your service is to be invisible. You're not supposed to be standing out as someone to be complimented. So obviously you need a little more work on your, Controlling your, your energy, your impulses, and pulling focus to yourself. I'll tell you, I was absolutely devastated. Devastated that the work that I had done had wound up in, in what felt to me like a, a crushing defeat. I spent all these months trying to do everything I could to be as pleasing as possible and to do what I was told, and yet I had somehow failed. When I went and spoke to my friend, I I said to her, I was like, huh, I'm sure you didn't mean for this to happen, but actually, you know, funny enough, that note that you sent got me kind of in trouble. And she was like, what the hell, how? You did great. And I told her what had been said to me. And you know that look that your friends get on their faces when they're like, you pitiful thing, but they don't want to say that. Instead, what she said to me was, you know, Mo, if you were kneeling in a corner with a drape over your head, people would still be aware that you were there. Your presence is just too strong. And maybe this is not the best path for you in a situation where what's expected of you is to be invisible when you shine so brightly. And of course I was like, yeah, I mean, I know you've been doing this for like 20 years or whatever, but clearly I'm, I'm just ill suited for this, but I tried, I tried so hard essentially to erase myself, right? And to become a person far away from who I genuinely was, which is fucking tragic. And I always tell people when they ask me about submission, you know, is it hard? And the thing is that it should be challenging because life is challenging and challenges are fantastic. It should be challenging, but it should not hurt, it should not hurt who you are. It shouldn't hurt where you're coming from. It shouldn't hurt your very core essence of who you, who you are and who you desire to be. It's got to align. It has to be, has to fucking be uh, coherent. Needless to say, <laughs> that relationship did not continue much further than that. And as I was leaving that relationship, I thought to myself, well, okay, I'm just clearly not a fucking slave. That's just clearly not who I am. It's not who I'm going to be. I just need to move the hell on. One of the most important things that I did learn in that relationship was something that was referred to in our household as the prime directive. And what that stated was, it is the submissive or slaves primary responsibility, first and foremost, to protect the property at all times, up to and including from the master themselves. And the property, ta ta Jomo, please, is you, right? You are the object, in a sense, in the relationship. Because a lot of people who fetishize master-slave relationships really fetishize being owned and being sort of the property of another person. Now, for some people, that sounds like a very depersonalizing issue. But when you consider the idea of ownership, when you consider the language that we use around it, this is my lover, this is my wife, this is my child, this is my house. These are often the most precious relationships that we have. So the idea of ownership in a DS or MS relationship is not necessarily about dehumanizing or depersonalizing. It's about stating in this relationship that your primary focus is This person, this human being who you own and love and cherish. The love and cherish part I added because I feel that those are particularly important. And when those are lacking, you're veering into the swampy pit of potential abuse. And I feel very strongly about this. The prime directive has been a cornerstone for me in my MS. And then I realized that it had bled into other aspects of my life. And I started doing shit like negotiating harder for raises at jobs and walking away from situations where I was being treated badly because I started to think, is this protecting the property? You know, if I don't have a master or an owner to do it, who the hell else is going to do it? Spoiler alert, it's you. And it always is going to be you. You are always going to be your first, last and best advocate for taking care of yourself. I had this relationship first year and a half of my being involved in the community, and it was rough towards the end. However, what I learned was so critical and so important for the rest of my life that I started to realize that some of the lessons that I was learning in the kink world were ones that I really just dead set felt like non kink people really needed to hear. I I tend to use the term non kink identified, and it's a bit of a mouthful, but when people use the term vanilla to work, Uh, to to, to refer to non-kinky people, my thing is, first of all, you're making an assumption. You don't know that this motherfucker is not kinky. They might be, and they might just not know it, or it might be so integral to who they are that they don't think of it as a kink or a fetish. Second of all, vanilla is the second most expensive spice in the world, has so many complex chemicals and features to the flavor that to call something vanilla You know, if you are not enjoying vanilla, you are not doing it right because this shit is delicious. (laughs) So I tend to avoid that term. But I really feel as though there are so many lessons from kink and BDSM and leather and extreme sexual practices that would really and truly benefit those who are not involved in the scene. And so part of why I want to get out there and reach out and talk to folks is to say, look, you know, what I'm doing over here, you don't have to do it, but you might be able to glean some deliciousness and some nuggets that might help you in your own life through this the prime directive being the first and and foremost, the most central one. How many of us prioritize taking care of ourselves and not in a way that damages others, not in a way that is selfish in a destructive way, but positively selfish, like focused on yourself, which you have got to be. And I'll tell you, ironically, I have learned more solid, and sustainable methods for taking care of myself and making sure that my needs are met since becoming involved in kink and SM than I did in the 20 some odd years. (laughs) Oh, it's been a long time. Oh my God, I'm so old. (laughs) 20 plus years of my doing this this kinky shit. The prime example being just one thing. The idea that self-care is important. The reason for the prime directive essentially is to make sure that the relationship stays in a healthy and supportive frame of mind. It's super easy for a lot of us who are submissives or submissive minded or slave or slave identified or slavey types or bottomy types to forget about ourselves and to go into this martyr mode, right? And that's really easy for me to do. And then I'll just suffer along with whatever the moment is. And then I'll look back and go, Oh my God, that fucking sucked. Why didn't I speak up? Why didn't I say something? And the elegance of the prime directive means that me taking care of myself first is not just necessary. It's the will of the person I want to serve and their opinion and their desire means the, the world to me. And so what this is doing is it's setting me up for success. It's setting me up to say, you know, if I feel like shit and I push through that and I don't tell my partner where I am or or that I'm having like a hard day, I am now in violation of our agreement. I have to let them know. I have to share this. I got to pipe up. And what that does is that keeps you present. That keeps you focused on staying fucking healthy, which is huge, yo, Um, At least I think it is. I think it is. So I will admit that maybe other people don't feel like taking care of themselves is the most first and foremost important thing. I had a friend who was involved in the scene and also a, a single mom. And at one point she had been offered the opportunity to go and take a weekend away with a play partner. And she was like, I can't really do it. I'm just, I'm anxious about leaving my kid. And I just feel like it's super selfish and whatever. And I said, you know, You have not had time off in like since your kid was born. This is your first opportunity. Why don't you grab it? And she's stressing about it. And I finally said, look, if you are not rested and happy and joyous, if you are just hurried and running from post to post to post to post all the time, your kid is not going to benefit from having a happy mom who feels good about being there. Self-care is important for your child as well. Your self-care. I grew up watching my parents struggling and suffering and and sacrificing and all of that shit. And it's something that we see, kids see, and you're modeling the rest of your life for them. If a child sees that self-care is important, that their parents are taking care of them and themselves, that's a huge lesson to learn. So she did wind up going and taking the weekend away. I don't know if it had to do with my pep talk or not. I I like to think that it was part of her decision-making process, but. I point out to people all the time, when you're on an airplane and they're playing that fucking video or doing that goddamn demo, what is the thing they say about those little air masks? Put yours on first before helping other people. Why? Because if your ass passes out and you're like DOA, you're not helping any motherfucking body. That's it, right? It's on you. So making sure that your shit is squared away is important before you think about helping anybody else. (laughs) We'll be right back after a little breather and stretcher. This is a lesson I have taken into my current relationship with my owner, which I'll tell you, man, I'm so glad I had a primer in this and many years of experience before getting involved with someone else who is not only a Leo, but super high maintenance genius guy. And, um, it would be super easy for me to say, well, his needs and his needs and what he wants and what he desires, and then let my shit fall by the wayside. I consider myself fortunate and I consider him to be very intelligent that the concept of the prime directive was something that was very easy for him to grab onto and adapt. And he is mostly pretty good about reminding me about that. When he doesn't remind me, I remind myself and he's entirely on board And sometimes what self-care looks like is me saying, you know what, I'm going to need for you to give me an afternoon by myself. Or, you know, we're going to be ordering food this week a lot because I can't. I cannot. I'm unable to even. And his acceptance of that is what makes our relationship strong. So many people who are involved in DS and MS relationships go into it assuming that the roles are static and this is what submission looks like. It looks like you kneeling, you know, chained to the bed or whatever, and the dominant standing above you, towering with in their leathers with a whip and ordering you around. But the reality is sometimes mastery and ownership looks like taking care of someone else and doing everything that you can to make their day a little bit better because that's what they need. That type of give and take is so critical to DS relationships and so critical to all relationships, right? I mean, we're all involved in power exchange to some extent. I think if you look at the parent child relationship, that's a dominant and submissive relationship, but it's also a dominant and submissive relationship in the other way in that the Parent certainly has to submit to the needs, wants, and desires of the child totally for the first couple of years of their lives because that baby is completely dependent and it's not about what you want, it's about what that baby or child needs. And so you're pretty much bottoming to that situation, that scenario. And then, of course, you know, the hope is that the kid listens to you and does what you say. And, and hopefully, what you're telling the kid to do is, is logical and rational and good and kind and just and all of that shit. But there is power exchange all over. Folks in the military are in a power exchange. You are submitting when you get a job and you have a boss. You are the dominant when you are in charge of a classroom full of students. Whatever it is, that power dynamic happens everywhere. And when we look at our relationships in terms of a power dynamic, who has the power? Is it fluid? Does it move back and forth? Is the person in charge actually the one with the power? And how are they using it? And most importantly, is this consensual? Is what you're doing in this power exchange dynamic something that both people are entering to consensually? There are so many power dynamics that we cope with in society that are not fucking consensual. We see it every day in the brutality of the police. We see it every day in the ineptitude of many governmental systems. I could go on, but I won't because this shit just pisses me off (laughs) and I have other things to talk about. But when we say to ourselves, okay, power is present in our interaction, I'm going to acknowledge that and consciously try to maintain a humane, just, fair, and consensual environment around our power. That really shifts the dynamic quite a bit. I have spoken to dozens and dozens of couples and people who are not involved in kink and sm and i present them with the theoretical query okay like let's just say you're two of you are now in a dungeon and one of you has to uh (laughs) grab the whip and and start you know stroking the butt of the other person who is it going to be and i'll tell you like 90% 90% of the time, people are like, boom, boom, boom. They will know exactly who that person would be in their relationship. And then 10% of the time, they're like, oh, you know, I'm not, I, I like, kind of, and then I'm like, allow me to introduce to you the concept of switching. <laughs> switching being where the power dynamic is more fluid and maybe one person has a power one day and the other person has a power another day. And maybe it just changes and goes back and forth depending on what you, you really need that day. And then folks are like, oh, yeah, 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 that makes sense. I think we would be switches. (laughs) And what's so great about that is that it really underscores the fact that that is something that we're aware of, man. We all know we're doing it, but we just don't know we know. And when we put a conscious eye towards aspects of our lives that maybe we're in the dark, we're subconscious. I believe that we can act in ways that are going to be better for ourselves and for our partners and all that shit. One of the most important lessons I've learned in my current relationship is martyring myself is not just destructive to me, but it's also problematic for my partner because then he has no idea where I am. If I'm just doing shit because I feel like I should just suffer through it and do it because that's what the quote unquote good slave would do, that can build up a resentment, like a little tiny pea pod of resentment sitting there. Like eventually that shit will sprout and take root and grow and blossom. And then you've got a strangling vine of resentment that's going to take over your fucking entire life. Eventually, I promise you that. So one of the things I promised to myself when we first got together is that even if it was awkward and painful and it sucked, I was going to be as honest as I possibly fucking could. And I'll tell you, it's miraculous because he has not only handled it, it has been a way for him to trust me. Typically, most people feel like they can trust someone who says the shit that's hard to say. If you're in a relationship with someone and it's all peaches and cream and, you know, sugar and spice and everything nice, that's great. But when the shit hits the fan, that's going to be an unproven area. You're not going to know whether or not that person is reliable. But if they come to you with their issues and their problems and they're willing to help you sort through yours and they're willing to step to you when you're fucking up, most importantly, that's, that's the shit right there. One of the biggest trust pivot points my owner and I had in our relationship was real early on when we were first together. I was tracking that he had some issues with what seemed like these sort of blow ups and meltdowns that had nothing to do with me. It would just be about random shit, which reminded me of my dad. And I was like, you know, I don't know if I can handle that. And after one particularly blow up, blow up, Meltdown, meltdown. You know, we sat when he was calm, and he was like, "I don't know why this happens. I just feel like I can't control it." And I'm like, "This sounds like uh, anxiety or some sort of issue going on here. Let's let's talk to a therapist about this. But more importantly, I need for you to still communicate with me when you're in those places where it feels like you're dark and alone, and you're swirling in this vortex. I'm here. I'm right here. If you make the effort to reach out, or you allow me to reach in, we can get through this, but not if you lock yourself off and shut yourself down. And I told him, look, this is gonna sound really harsh, but if you don't get this together, this will destroy our relationship because I will not stick around in a relationship where I'm walking on eggshells and afraid that at any moment this shit could blow up. I'm like, I believe. I don't care about your fantastic, apartment overlooking the river. I don't care about the international travel. I don't care about all of this shit more than I care about my fucking mental health and well-being. I was like, I will get the fuck up and leave. I promise you. And I'm sitting there going, he's just gonna, this is not going to float. He's just going to be like, well, fine, fuck you then. And he had tears in his eyes and he said, thank you. Because I've always felt like and in his previous relationships, it was definitely true that people stayed with him because they were afraid of what would happen if they left, because their life was comfortable enough and the discomfort was not enough for them to leave. And you know what happens when you stay with someone who you don't feel 100% respected by or loved by or that you can trust? Resentment. And resentment is not a plant you want growing in your garden, mon frère. It is fucking not. So I was actually really heartened by his reaction. The fact that he saw my ultimatum, basically, right? Because I was like, you know, get it together, I'm out. As a marker for the fact that he could actually truly, really and truly trust me was a huge green flag. And I said, you know what? This motherfucker. This can be worked on. This can work. This I can do. And I just leaned all the way into it at that point. And, you know, we've been together since December 21st, 2013. Like literally since that first date, I basically moved in two days later, which is another story and sounds a bit crazy, but it works. We're still together and, and more solid and more full of joy and more determined to have each other's back than we were at any point previously. Is it easy? No. Is he high maintenance? Yes. Am I a handful? Certainly. And in addition to all of that, we care for and respect each other more than any other person in the world or that we've previously been in relationships with, which is a miracle. You guys, it's a miracle. And the foundation of that miracle is that we trust each other, to have each other's back and to take care of each other. And part of that foundation goes right back to the prime directive. It goes right back to me saying the most critical thing I can do in our fucking relationship is take care of myself. How miraculous is that? Where in the world is that happening? Who is saying to you, you know, the most important thing is you taking care of yourself. It's rare. But it shouldn't be. That should be the, the, the bloody default for everyone's relationships. And this is the gospel that I want to I wanna preach. I want to get that out there to people. You need to prioritize taking care of yourself. And not just in a freaking, like, take a bath and get a mani-pedi. That's great. But the real self-care is making sure that your needs are met, making sure that you are heard, making sure that you are respected, making sure that the people around you and in your life are doing everything in their power to support you and that you are also supporting them back because that's what it takes for me, at least to know that I'm doing well, to look at the people in my life and see that love and that care. And I am so fortunate. I'm so fortunate that I have that in my life now. And it took a lot of pain and many, many, many fucking years of waiting to find that, but I have it. And I I just, I wish that for everyone who desires it. I wish that type of love and support for everyone. And to find that type of love and support, you got to love and support yourself. It's cheesy BS and it's been said a million ways, but I'm going to say it again because maybe this time, maybe this way, it's something you'll actually understand and really take in for yourself. Beautiful selfishness appropriate selfishness is absolutely necessary to keep your shit together thanks so much for listening it's been great having this uh nattering with the negress moment with you or whatever the fuck this is going to be called god knows i hope to see you see you I hope to hear you i'm not seeing or hearing you it's just me talking into this fucking mic i hope to connect with you again soon thanks so much You've been listening to All That and mo. Thanks so much for spending your precious, precious time with me today. My podcast is produced by Cody Crabb, theme music by Georg Friedrich Haas, as performed by Marcus Weiss, and I look forward to spending time with you again really soon.